Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 108 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I think you will know, a lot of you anyway, will know our guest today. His name is Tony Morgan, and he has served at some incredible churches, including Granger Community Church and New Spring and others, and uh, a few years ago went out on his own um, to really help the church as a whole, the wider church, and done a great job. He's helped our church. And man, one, one of the, and I think I might share this at some point when, when I talk about Tony, but like he was one of the first blogs I ever read. Like this is back in the day, 10 years ago and still read him, still love what he does. So he's my guest today. And if your church has ever been stuck, maybe you lead a small church that's stuck, a mid-sized church, but you know what? Even large churches get stuck and churches that were growing sometimes get stuck. And Tony's kind of an expert at that. And so we're going to talk about why churches get stuck. And if you're not stuck, hopefully you never need this episode. But if you do, there'll be some gems for you. Hey, I want to thank uh, our sponsors. want to thank EA Help. Uh, they are doing a great job helping people like you and me really get the help we need. So a couple of years ago, I realized, you know, when you're a young leader, I don't know. And I know there's a ton of young leaders who listen to this podcast. You kind of think, well, you know what? I think I'm good at everything. And uh, there was a time in my leadership where I really believed that, only to soon discover that's just not true. Sometimes you have to do a lot, particularly in the startup days. But in reality, over the last 20 years, I've realized, hey, you know what I'm best at? Communication plain and simple. If I, if I stick to communicating, uh, creating healthy teams, and pushing forward a mission and vision, um, our church, our organization, and me are all at our best. And that means a lot of other stuff has to get done by other people. First of all, you know, God only gifted yet a couple of things. But the, the, the thing that often too many leaders hang on to for too long is administration. And uh, I know for me, I was resistant to get my first assistant. Honestly, now, I don't think I could live without one. So anyway, if you're looking for part-time help, make sure you check out EA Help. Just go to eahelp.com and uh, you might be like, well, I don't have any budget. Man, they can start you at five or 10 hours a week, like super easy. I love my assistant, Sarah. She is great. We have been working together for about four months and, uh, you know, the distance isn't an issue. To have a virtual assistance is a huge help and one of the reasons that we can even do this today. So check out eahelp.com. Thank you for their partnership in this podcast. And hey, if you haven't checked out Orange Tour, make sure you go to orangetour.org. I would love to connect with you in one of the cities I'll be in this fall. And also uh, my new resource, the High Impact Leader course is only available this fall on Orange Tour, but closer to Christmas, we're going to release it to all of you. So if you want to get uh, your hands on it, man, I'm excited about helping leaders get their time, energy, and priorities working in their favor. So um, thank you so much to our partners for this podcast. Hey, whatever you're doing today, I hope it's a great day for you in leadership. The fall is my busy season. I'm sure it is for you as well. If you take a moment, though, can you do two things? Can you subscribe and can you leave a rating and review? We're well over 400 reviews now. Your reviews are so encouraging. Leave them on iTunes. Leave them at your favorite place wherever you listen to this podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Thank you for doing that. And make sure while you're at it, you subscribe because then you'll get all this stuff automatically. Does that sound good? And here's an, an added incentive for subscribing. Chuck Swindoll is my guest next week. Yeah, that's going to be incredible. So anyway, without further ado, here's my conversation with Tony Morgan. Well, Tony, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you. It's good to be back. Carrie, uh, how long has it been? I mean, you let me be one of the first guests on your podcast, but gosh, since then, more, it's just more than our moms that are listening, I think. You, yeah, your, I podcast, think your podcast has really taken off. It really has. I don't know why or how, but it must be because you launched it so well. You were, you were episode six, I think. For the originals, the handful of people that launched it, I mean, they got you and Andy Stanley at the very beginning and... And it, it was great. And uh, we've connected many, many times in between. But I just thought, oh, it's time to have Tony back. So welcome back. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So tell us what you've been up to in the last few years, because you've helped us at Connexus Church as well with your group, the Unstuck Group. 
I have, yeah. So uh, first things first, uh, family, I've, I'm moving half of our kids out of the house. So I'll have wow. two, two kids uh, at the uh, university in Georgia this year uh, and two kids still at home. So uh, the goal is to, to raise them up, help them become healthy adults and kick them out of the house, Carrie. So I'm, I'm halfway there so far. We'll see. We've got, we've got both out of the house, but some of their stuff has moved home. That's been pushing my buttons <laughs> this year. So I'm trying to not get my kids out of the house, but just their stuff out of the house. So if you've got a spare room, let me know, Tony. Okay. Yeah. But in addition to that, uh, yeah, it's been fun. The Unstuck group has really taken off since we last talked. Yeah. And we're getting to help uh, churches all across the country. Well, in fact, uh, our whole team was just in Atlanta this past week. And we've looked at what happened in just the last 12 months. We were in 70 different churches, uh, including we counted up 28 states in the U.S. Uh, We were in Canada, as you know, because we were with Conexus Church, among other churches in the U.K., and we're uh, sending some folks down to Costa Rica here in a couple of weeks. So uh, it's been fun to watch that the Unstuck group just take off since then. And uh, as you know, it's not just me anymore. I, I remember Gosh, when I in 2009, when the Unstuck group really started, I remember having this conversation with my wife, Emily. I have a whiteboard in my office here, and I had the list of five churches on that whiteboard. And I told Emily, I think I can fit one more in. Uh, Well, now there are 20 of us on the team um, helping with all different facets of what we do, not only uh, consulting with churches, but leadership coaching and creating content and uh, doing everything we can to really equip the church to be all the church can be. Well, you've helped us. You helped us about four years ago with staffing in a very you know particular way where uh, when I was lead pastor, it was like, okay, we're looking at some hiring and you profiled all of us. Actually, I've had like lots of profiles done of um, my personality, probably because I need to be profiled. I'm the kind of person, you know, it's like he can be very dangerous. I would say, I don't know whether you can have a favorite profile, but like what, what, do you remember what you were using or what you use yeah, today? What's and we still use, yeah, it's called leading from your strengths. Okay. Um, Ministry Insights. So Google that um, and you can we use it uh, because we think it's the most effective way uh, when anytime we're in a staffing and structure review to look at who's on the team and then where there are gaps on the team. Uh, But the great thing about that tool is you don't even have to hire us. You can just jump on uh, Google. You're, You're familiar with Google, aren't you, Carrie? Yes, I've heard of it. Yeah. So Google uh, reached Canada, Google leading from your strengths. uh, And it's a relatively cheap tool, but powerful tool that you can use with your team. You know, it was a defining, I don't think I've told you this. It was a defining moment for me because it was the only personality profile I've ever done that says you get bored easily. You are the kind of person who likely has multiple offices and needs multiple challenges. (laughs) And it was something we were working through because I had a home office and then I work off my back porch and I had an office at the church. And, you know, people are like, why can't you focus? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe God created me that way. That's right. That's right. And that's what I love about that tool is it's really emphasizing God's created us all uniquely. It's a reflection of the body of Christ. We all uh, fulfill different. We all have we're different parts of the body. We fulfill different gifts and um, personalities and all that bring when we bring that giftedness together, it just makes the body stronger. Uh, And you are very unique, Carrie. So I'm glad the profile confirmed that. Well, yes, that's what many people tell me. It's the polite (laughs) Um, and, And then we brought you back in last year and you're still working with our team to help us develop our next five year plan and vision. And that's been tremendously successful. And I just I always believe, well, you've heard our mutual friend Casey Graham talk about it, right? Like you need to have outside voices. You need to have an investment in that. And and that's what you do. So you've been doing that now for eight, seven years. Yeah, in fact, I, I believe so much in the power of bringing that outside voice in that we do it as a team. It's like uh, we have all kinds of facilitators on our team that can guide our conversations around vision and strategy, next steps. Uh, but we believe so much in the value of that outside perspective and someone that asks questions in a different way than we would be accustomed to. And so we actually invest thousands of dollars every year to bring somebody in from the 
outside that does what we what we do, but comes at it from a different perspective. That's interesting. Why? Let, let's go there for a second. Why? Like, how come you think leaders get stuck in that? Is it just that we only see what we only see, or is it confirmation bias, or or why? Why is sometimes that outside voice so useful? Because within a few years of me leading our church, I'm like, I need outside perspective. Yeah. Why, why do we get that way? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've seen, I've watched some leaders um, find some success mm-hmm. um, in the past, and they just tend to hold on to that. And I don't know if that's because we're in a comfort zone and we know that we knew that it worked then, and we're we're afraid to take a next step because it might not work. I don't know, uh, but I, I will tell you this: uh, I think some of the greatest leaders, though, they're just always asking questions. And I think this is one way that we open our minds to different perspectives is bring is by either bringing somebody in from the outside or going and and experience something outside the wall of our church. Uh, but I think it's a dangerous place when we when we assume we have all the answers. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, I have seen, you have seen, Carrie, I'm sure too, some leaders that really they become uh, pretty inward focused mm-hmm. um, and they don't look outside for help. And as a result of that, over time, they become stale uh, at best and find themselves in problems at, in the worst case scenarios. No, I think that's very, very true. And I've definitely seen that. Prior to that, you served in executive pastor roles. And we covered that in episode six of our podcast. But you were an executive pastor at Granger Church and then at New Spring and then at a church in Atlanta as well. Right. Well, um, not I was actually never an executive pastor, but I was in that those types of roles. OK, Gary. so okay, uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't want I don't want someone checking my resume and finding gaps uh, that don't exist, Carrie. So, <laughs> OK, I believe operations, right? Strategic yeah, operations, strategy, operations yeah. yeah, things like that. Sure, exactly. So, uh, Tony, one of the things I wanted to talk about this time around is very few leaders see the church as broadly and as deeply as you do. You've seen it as an insider at three very influential churches, um, and now you've seen it literally consulting with hundreds of churches, mostly in a Western context, but increasingly global context. Uh, What surprises you the most about the church today? Well, two things come to mind. Number one, um, because I get to see so many churches, one of the big surprises is there's not one way to do church, (laughs) Uh, which should be reassuring for all of us that there are all kinds of churches out there, um, all different sizes, all different denominations, all different philosophies and ministry strategies. And God's working in a lot of different churches. So uh, that is a bit of a surprise and hopefully an encouragement uh, to some of your listeners as well. Uh, But another surprise um, is really the impact of churches, um, larger churches, Um, and not not to suggest that smaller churches aren't having an impact, but everything I've read since I've been in full-time ministry has suggested that at some point, the mega church, the large church is going to start to plateau and decline because people are going to gravitate to smaller, smaller gatherings uh, where maybe there's a higher perceived value in relationship. Though I would argue one of the reasons why large churches become large is because they understand the value of relationships. Yeah. They're creating opportunities and next steps for people to engage in relationships at a deeper level. Um, but one of the other surprises, I guess, because I c- continually hear this, is that eventually the large church is going to face a barrier and we're going to see decline, is the large church is continuing to grow and there are more large churches out there. And in fact, Act, leadership network looked specifically then at why churches are if what the correlation is and finding a lot of those churches are engaging in multi-site and mm-hmm. um, your church uh, at Connexus uh, you've experienced this but leadership network confirmed in their research again last year that multi-site churches are growing larger and faster than single location churches. And we're we're seeing that on the ground too, firsthand, as we engage with churches, that multi-site churches, that strategy 
it's it's not it's just not the newfangled thing anymore. Churches, most churches that are growing, uh, particularly larger churches, are finding success with that strategy. Yeah, it's interesting. Why do you think so many people predict again and again? It happens every year. The death of the mega church. Like, there's a lot of negativity around large churches. Any any thoughts on why that is? I. I think there's something in the humanness of us that doesn't like others to experience success. Mm. I mean, to be honest, Carrie, yep. rather than praying for pulling for churches that are having an impact, uh, our natural tendency is to try to tear down. I don't think that's from God, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's, again, I think that's just the humanness in all of us. And we see that in church world, but obviously we see that in marketplace and politics and all around us where people have success. There's just a natural tendency for those that are a few steps behind to kind of pull that person back if they can. I'm, I'm pulling for all churches, yeah. all churches of all different sizes, and I don't think we can disregard churches that are large um, because they are continuing to have an imp- kingdom impact. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it is something in the human spirit, Tony, that just wants to tear the successful down. And that part, if that to the extent that that's true, that you know is not a good thing to be emulated. Why do you think people keep flocking to larger churches? Well, it's, uh, I mean, I do think it gets to some of the things that if we were to look at scripture, uh, we would identify as, gosh, why, why isn't every church doing this? Right. So I think larger churches specifically have someone in mind that they're trying to reach who is outside the faith and outside the church. And then they actually design strategy, ministry strategy, not only to reach that person, but then to help that person begin to take steps in faith once they accept Christ. And so that intentionality of looking outside the walls of the church of who are we trying to reach with the gospel message and then helping that person intentionally take next steps toward Christ once they connect with the church. Mm-hmm. Large churches are very focused on that. And I think uh, sometimes churches that aren't healthy and then as a result of that, they're not growing, uh, don't have that type of intentionality. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And and people are attracted to or, or want to be part of something that is targeted and successful and effective at what they do, maybe even far more than successful. Yeah, I mean, and there's no doubt about it. When you start to get that momentum, then it, it starts that momentum starts to work for you rather than against you. And so that's that's also a good thing. And there are churches that are leveraging that. So, yeah, you're right. Let's go back to a no one model being Mm -hmm. successful. No one size fits all. Jeff Surratt, a mutual friend, has been on this podcast. He's writing a book, I hope it comes out soon, about uh, churches that are crushing it with millennials. And I can't Mm -hmm. wait to read it because his research is widely different models. Some of them are like Mm -hmm. zero tech, others are super high tech, some are, you know, small group based, others are missional, but they're all successful with millennials. And so there's no one size fits all there. Are there trends or are there consistencies you see in churches that are doing a good job? With millennials specifically? Yeah, sure. Let's go there with millennials. Yeah. um, Well, I think the key here is um, the churches that are having success don't create programs for to reach millennials. They're actually a church for millennials. Right. Uh, right. So, uh, and we kind of laugh about this, but I see churches do this all the time. Whoever it is they're trying to reach, they try to program to that new audience. And right. so whether it's millennials or college students or singles or married couples, whatever the case might be, the the trick that churches try to pull out is, well, we'll create a program for that group that we're trying to reach. We'll create events. We'll hire someone specifically to reach that person, whoever it is. And that's the easy way out. Uh, because it's always easier to create a new program, to put a new event on the calendar, to hire a new staff person. The more challenging thing to do is to decide we are going to be a church that reaches millennials. And sure. everything that Across you do, board. yeah, Across everything, board. everything that we do as a church is going to have that person in mind. We're going to design our weekend services with that person in mind. We're going to design our discipleship strategy with that person in mind. We're going to hire and raise up leaders that reflect the, the that audience, that person that we're trying to reach. That takes work. 
Mm-hmm. And along the way, you're going to have to have some tough conversations with folks that may not be in that target, if you will, but it's that intentionality of reaching that specific audience and then designing everything that you do as a church that that allows churches to be successful in reaching millennials or really any other audience. Now, the fun thing about this is this. The churches that really get focused on reaching a specific audience, a specific person, usually then create intentionality around doing that. They become effective reaching that person. And then, lo and behold, they reach a very broad cross-section of their community as, as a whole. And so the way I describe it with folks is when we get intentional, when we get focused on a specific person, it's not to become exclusive. In other words, if somebody that isn't a millennial, they might be an old guy like me, shows up at the church. We're not going to close the door and say, Tony, you're not allowed to come here because our church is trying to reach millennials. But what happens is as church get focused and really intentional about reaching a group like that, it ends up they reach that group and they reach all their friends, all their all their family members, parents, and so on. And uh, that's I, I think it, it, that's why we're kind of sometimes shocked when we walk into a church that you would think, based on how they do their services, how they design their communications and their ministry strategy, you would think, gosh. There should only be young people in this church. And then you look around and you see a broad cross-section of the community, many different generations. Uh, But it started when they they recognized we're going to be intentional about reaching a very targeted group of people first. Wow. I think that that's certainly been our experience. You know, our target is a 30-year-old who uh, lives in one of our communities, usually a 30-year-old male. That's where we try to program our music. Mm-hmm. And then people think, wow, they come up, they come to our church and there's like 50-year-olds and 70-year-olds and 40-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what is, what is the deal with this? And it's like kind of like a radio station, right? If your target is 18 to 34-year-old males, you're going to get the odd 55-year-old female who loves what you're doing. And yeah, so... Yeah. So my mother-in-law, who's well into her 70s now, I'm probably not supposed to say that. You're never we supposed can to edit that out. <laughs> uh, attends this church uh, in uh, back home in Ohio. Uh, by the way, we're still cheering for the Cleveland Indians, uh, Carrie. I don't there know you if you yeah. have any baseball fans out there, but we are we are deeply connected to our Cleveland Indians and and hoping that they're going to pull out a series world series to follow the Cleveland Cavaliers championship this past year. But anyways, <laughs> that, that was, that was just a rabbit trail. I went on. Um, my, my mother-in-law goes to this church and by, by everything you would experience in this church, you would wonder why, why would this woman in her seventies be there because their music style the way they communicate, the way they the way they engage ministry is for for someone in their twenties or thirties. Sure. But she's there every Sunday for worship. And the funny thing is, she has earplugs that she has in her purse. And so, as soon as the worship starts, she pulls out the earplugs and put puts them in her ears. And so, I you know, I asked her one time, "Why do you do this?" Because yeah. there are lots of other churches in your community that actually have services, music, ministries designed for people your age. And there are a lot of people your age going to these churches. And she she expressed it this way. She said, you know, the reason why I go to this church is because I love the fact that they're reaching these younger generations for Jesus. And I want to be a part of a church that has that type of commitment and that type of focus. And you know what? She's not the only 70-year-old out there that believes that. There are lots of people in all generations that at the end of the day, they don't care the methods that are used. All they care is the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed. People are accepting Christ and people's lives are being transformed. And the more we can get people connected back to that mission, that vision, uh, I think the more health and the bigger impact we're going to see in our churches. I'm with your mother-in-law on that. Yeah, totally. You know, you get to a certain stage where you realize my life is either going to be about me or it's not going to be about me. And I want to be part of a church that's actually crushing it with the next generation. Um, And by the way, anybody who's followed Tony on social media for more than 10 minutes knows of his fascination with the Cleveland Indians. (laughs) 
<laughs> all I can say, Tony, is I I go Blue Jays. That's it. So that's right. You know. Well, you know, it's been since 1948, Kerry, that the Indians won the World Series. So we're we're a bit overdue. Yeah, I know it's been 93 since Toronto won. So I'm I'm just in withdrawal. But I have a lifetime memory of that when I lived in Toronto, and I would I'll I'll I'll, I'll defer to God to figure out who wins the World Series this year, uh, if He cares. Um, so, what's the most what's the most encouraging thing you're seeing in the church as you sort of canvas the landscape? Boy, you know, again, so much so much uh, about uh, what I'm seeing um, has to do with the fact that there are different approaches that are reaching different people. But one 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 aspect as we are on the ground working with churches directly one at a time, it's the it's just fine seeing that churches are thinking more about finding a balance between what we do as far as evangelism is concerned, and then what we do to disciple people. Mm-hmm. I don't think a healthy church actually has a 50-50 balance. To be honest with you, I think okay. healthy churches will lean more evangelistic uh, in their approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say that you see that tendency in everything they do, from, from their weekend services to their group strategy or to their classes or whatever the case might be. It will, it will lean a little bit more heavily evangelistic. But what I have seen, and you've probably seen this too, Carrie, is when churches only focus on evangelism and neglect anything as far as a discipleship strategy, they find themselves in a place where over time the church is not healthy. Mm-hmm. And the reverse is true too. Uh, when churches only focus on discipleship, helping Christ followers take their next steps and neglect evangelism and, a, and an outreach focus, those churches find themselves in a challenging place as well. But the tendency that we're seeing now as we engage with churches is that churches are really trying to find whatever that healthy balance is for them in both aspects. And so now these days, we don't see churches just focusing on weekend services as an example. We don't see churches just focusing on Bible study fellowships or whatever their method has been in the past to help people grow and and to be discipled. Uh, we're We're seeing more churches trying to find whatever that that healthy balance is between the two. And I think that's a good thing, ultimately, for a churches to find health and ultimately to continue to see growth. Yeah, no, this is—I'm glad you raised that, because this is a perpetual discussion, as you know, because you blog in the blogosphere and online and at conferences— there's that whole evangelism discipleship, and it seems to be in many circles a polarity, right? Where either, you know, anybody who's about evangelism doesn't care about discipleship, or you only care about discipleship, you don't care about evangelism. What does a healthy blend look like in that? Mm. What does a healthy balance look like to you? What are some of the key markers that you would advise church leaders to say, no, you need to do this, but you also need to do that? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I mean, I do. My gut tells me that churches that lean evangelistic uh, in their approach are ultimately going to be healthier. Um, And I think one of the reasons why is because they maintain a healthy outward focus where churches that lean towards discipleship instead uh, and to turn inward over time. Uh, and it can take time, but eventually that seems to be the tendency. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I think every church is going to be different here, but I think it's important for churches to define that up front mm-hmm. and then to make sure that they maintain whatever that balance is going forward by frequently just kind of revisiting their strategy, their events, their calendars, um, where where people are in their church as far as where they are on the discipleship path, just to make sure that what they're seeing as far as the outcomes are concerned are matching what they originally intended their strategy to look like. Well, you had a really interesting marker for us at Connexus Church when you were meeting with our staff and leadership team uh, last round, just under a year ago. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, you know, back door versus front door. And Mm -hmm. we were worried that we had a big backdoor because we have that evangelistic focus. And then you said, well, how many new people actually visited your church? Because we had a growth year. I think we were seeing about 1,100 people on average last weekend or Mm -hmm. each weekend last year. 
And so we're sitting down with those numbers and you said, well, you should basically have about 1,100 people first time through your door. Like if you have 100 in a year, in a year, yeah, that's right. You should, if you have 100 people attending your church on a typical weekend, over the course of a year, you should have 100 new people try your church to keep growing. We had half of that, but we were growing. And so you said, you don't have a backdoor problem. You just need to get more people in your front door. Is that a healthy, like that was news to me. I've been in ministry a long time. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's one general barometer that we use to to determine. Is it a front door or back door issue that the church is facing? I walked into another church. On the other hand, Carrie, they had uh, over the they had had over the last 12 months the equivalent of five times more guests coming in than their average attendance. Wow. And that was a clear instance where you actually do have a backdoor issue. There is some, <laughs> there is something that's happening either in the first steps or the next steps that people are taking at your church that they're not sticking or they're leaving, but some something is happening there. And so you don't have a first time guest issue. There's something else related to connections or discipleship that's broken there. And so that that's a barometer that we can use to determine what focus do we need to take with the church? Do we need to help them think about more, more about how do we get more guests into the church, or do we need to think about how we connect and help people take their next steps? I think what shocked all of us at Connexus is because we had a good growth year last year and again this year, but you know, we, we were all, we were convincing ourselves it was a backdoor issue and you came along with actual hard math and went, no, 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 actually you shouldn't be growing. If you have this, you know, half Mm -hmm. your usual attendance as first time guests in the course of a year, that's kind of the recipe for stuck attendance. You just need Mm -hmm. more people in the front door and we were growing and we're like, well, that's incredibly good news. This year we're closer to being on track with the thousand first time guests to our church than we that's were encouraging yeah, well that is. that that means the things that we actually we talked about were are actually working then to get more guests in the door well, so that's always that? encouraging we're trying. <laughs> we're trying that's for sure year's not done yet but we're we're excited about it so oh another thing that came up around our leadership uh thing uh, not everybody but there's a number of well everybody's got some kind of online presence these days i mean even if you're a church of 50 you probably have a facebook page or a twitter account or you do personally as a leader right we launched our online campus. So let me just ask you, because this is the debate I have with all my friends with online campuses. Do we count that in our attendance numbers or do we not? We track it, but we haven't included it fully in our weekend attendance yet. What do you do? You decide what you want to do and then <laughs> that becomes your baseline. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess the only reason why that might become an issue is if you're trying to compare where you are against other churches. Right. Um, but to me, that's that's not the key. The key is to figure out where are we today uh, and then compare that to where we were 12 months ago or where we're going to be 12 months in the future. Right. And so that's why I say figure out figure out what your baseline is whether you're going to count it or not, and then just track it. So, gotcha. um, you know, advice. I think we are in the day and age, though, let's be honest, Carrie, where not everybody is going to be physically pre- present every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I just, I'll, you know, this is like the confessional. I'll just tell you, the Morgan family is not in a church building every Sunday of the year. Gotcha. And so there are some Sundays where we're engaging a weekend service from our living room or from the condo on our vacation or whatever the case might be. So, you know, if it were my church, I would want to know that people are engaging in that way and I would want to monitor that. But that's, we, we that, that, that would be numbers. Church. But even okay. when we discuss it with our volunteers, they're like, I was watching online. Are you telling me I don't count? Like, you're telling me it doesn't matter? It's interesting. Probably, you probably don't want to tell a volunteer they don't no, count. I don't want to tell them that. So you're figuring <laughs> that one out. What else uh, encourages you as you look out to the broader church, Tony? Gosh, uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, be, I mean, beyond some of the things we've mentioned yeah, already, we talked a lot about that. Well, let's switch gears. A few stumbling blocks that you, because you know, you're the unstuck group. You deal with a lot of stuck churches. What are some stumbling blocks you see leaders hit again and again? 
Yeah, well, let me let me jump to, um, you know, one of the common questions, Carrie, that uh, folks will ask me is how, how do churches get stuck, okay. uh, which is kind of getting at this question that you're asking. And whenever someone asks that question, in fact, when when the unstuck group goes into a church, these are kind of the top five that we're always looking for. Great. And everybody likes lists. I noticed that when you blog, you blog in lists. I do. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm guessing if I. I, I'm guessing if I give you a list here, the church leaders that will be listening will be jotting these five things down. So uh, let me give you these because I think uh, what, no matter what your church looks like, size-wise, denomination, philosophy of ministry, things like these, um, these five at some point are going to become issues that you're going to have to own and then deal with. So here, here are the five. The first is churches don't have clarity about their vision for the future. And it's not, I'm not talking about a mission statement because most churches have a mission statement. What churches tend to, where there, where there tends to be a gap though, is specific clarity around this is where we believe God's calling us three to five years from now. And I mean specific, so a clear picture of what that's going to look like. And when that gap exists, what ends up happening then is people fill in the gaps and they, in their mind, will assume this is where the church is going. And that's when you begin to see staff leaders, lay leaders, ministries pulling in different directions. So the the first area is not having clarity around vision. So when you say vision clarity, Tony, that's really helpful. But like, how specific does it need to get? Like, we actually put a number yeah. on it. We want to be a church gathering 2,000 people by 2020. Like yeah, so our, our, is it that clear, that granular? That It is. Heard? Yeah, so I always tell people either let's make it a measurement or let's 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 state a specific initiative that we want to get accomplished. So you gave an example of a measure, but a specific initiative, for example, uh, at Granger Community Church, the church I was at for a number of years, was looking at what are we going to do to uh, reach younger families in our community? They were looking at a gap that existed in their community as far as early childhood care and learning was concerned. And so part of their last vision was, we're going to open an early childhood center in our community. And they did it. So that's Mm. an example of something specific included in the vision, not a measurable, but an initiative that they wanted to get accomplished. But what I've learned is when churches get that specific, it really helps to focus everything that they're doing, particularly around how they invest their resources. Um, And so that, that I think is What's missing in a lot of churches is the vision that they they claim as vision is rather nebulous. So, you know, I'm a big believer and we're going to be a Bible believing, Bible teaching church. Yeah. Uh, but that's not that's not vision that that's more doctrine. It's more value, but it's not vision for where the church is going to be in the future. OK, that's really helpful. OK, so clarifying vision is number one. What are the other yeah. ways churches get unstuck? The, the second, stuff. yeah, yeah, the second way they get stuck is they don't have that clear discipleship path, and we talked about that earlier. Um, it's it's just finding that right balance between evangelism and discipleship, and so the, the discipleship path is going to look different at in every church, um, but it's important that there is a path. And what I've written about, what you've probably seen me draw pictures about, is mm-hmm. churches tend to have a con- uh, what is the word a gap a just a bunch of programs um, rather than a clear focused path that they're encouraging people yes. to take. And so yes. that's the second one. Uh, the third one is is their churches tend to get stuck by being inward focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they just focus on the people that are already in the church rather than the people outside the church and outside the faith. So that's a key shift that churches have to make if they're stuck. Another uh, number four would be uh, just complexity. Um, so churches uh, that are stuck tend to be more complex. Churches that are growing, that, that are healthy, tend to have more focus. And so I think that's, that's something that churches have to address. And then, uh, probably no surprise, but the fifth area where we see churches commonly getting stuck is just weak leadership. And mm-hmm. I think that that comes in two different uh, 
flavors. One is just there. It's people without the leadership gift are, are in positions of leadership in the church. And so that's not going to work. But yeah. then the other the other challenge that I see in churches that are stuck is they have gifted leaders. They're just not empowering those leaders. Hmm. And again, particularly in smaller churches, they they tend to um, put as many checks and balances as they can around the pastor. So there's a high level of trying to keep accountability around the pastor rather than empowering the pastor to really lead. And so in smaller churches, it's not uncommon to see lots of boards and committees and lots of rules and decision makings very complicated. Um, and so rather than and empowering people for ministry, they're tr- they're really tying their hands, and strong leaders aren't able to lead in those scenarios. So yeah. those those are the five those are the five things that we typically look for if we know that a church is stuck. Man, they're all worth airtime, but I want to go to number five when you talk about weak leadership. So let's do both scenarios. We'll start with the second one where maybe you have a really capable leader. And I agree, this is an epidemic in small and mid-sized churches. But basically, there's no authority. There's no empowerment. In other words, you know, you can't buy a box of Kleenex without board (laughs) approval. So let me, yeah, let me get... If you, uh, I walked into this church. They they have. Uh, I'm guessing the church is a good sized church, maybe six or seven hundred people. But there were over fifty people on the board. They had twelve different committees. They, wow. they had so many committees and so many people serving in these boards and committees. They had to have a committee just to name people to committees. I mean, it oh, was pretty man. complex. Um, so they're 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 trying to reach younger generations, younger families, and they decide they have all kinds of space. But they decide they need to improve um, some of their spaces for students. And I mean, what I mean, just basic painting the walls. I mean, that was the first step. And so they decided we need to repaint our children's ministry environment or our student ministry environment. They had to go to a youth ministry committee a trustees committee who handles the facilities, a finance committee and a treasury and a treasury to deal with the money to buy the paint. And then ultimately the board had to, to approve that once all the committees had their voice into it. Well, this was taking months. And so finally <laughs> somebody decided I'm just going to go buy some paint and paint the walls. And that's, that's how it eventually got done. But that's an example of a church. <laughs> You're laughing. Why are you laughing, Carrie? This is church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Pardon, <laughs> pardon me. No, I've never seen that before. Uh, Mark Beeson used to tell a story of two churches that merged, uh, two small churches that merged, um, and the merger fell apart uh, because every year both churches used to sell peanut brittle, and they couldn't agree on the peanut brittle recipe that they were going to use. The merger (laughs) fell apart. But all this is an example of this church I'm talking about had a very strong, healthy, great leader in the pastoral role and actually several great staff members to support him. Uh, but the structure was set up so that they were encouraging the leader to be weak um, because they were basically taking away decision-making responsibility and any authority that he had to actually move the, the church's ministry forward. And real leaders don't stick around in an environment like that, do they? Nope, they don't. They leave. They leave. And, and that's true not just of, you know, ministry staff, but that's true of parishioners. If you have someone attending your church who's actually a leader, they leave. They don't stick around in that environment. That's right. Yeah, that's right. In today's day and age, there's going to be another church that's going to leverage leadership like that. And so this is one of those deals, uh, you know, as churches, we get to decide who we keep and we we can decide uh, to create all kinds of structures and decision making rules and things like that. But when we do that, we we keep the folks that um, are looking to find power and we and we push away the people that really have the strength in their leadership to help the church uh, reach more people for Jesus. So um, I th- this is a challenge. It needs to be addressed. So when churches end up going there where there's like 17 committees and the committee to appoint the committee, why do they end up there? Like what what is going on in their minds? Because I mean, I do have an allergic reaction to that kind of culture. 
Well, uh, I, I, there's probably a number of reasons why churches end up at this place. I think sometimes it's a reaction to a problem that occurred at some time in the past where a pastor maybe used the authority and abused it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could have been a reaction to that. Right. Um, but uh, I think more oftentimes what we see is it's just the tradition that the church has grown out of. You know, it's it's what the church has always done. It's the way the church has always operated. And fortunately, in ministry, sometimes, too, we we look to government uh, and mimic governmental structures and and decision making processes within the context of the church, even though there's nothing in Scripture to support that. Right. Um, and gosh, it's working so well with governments, too, Carrie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's working so well. If a church is there, like there's some leaders listening right now, Tony, who are just owned by this. And and some of them may be board members, others may be like leaders who are trapped in that. Have you seen churches disentangle themselves from that? Have you, and how do you do it? I do. Uh, I think it, it takes hard work, but one good place to start, I, I love recommending resources that other people are creating. They're just great resources. There's a book out there called High Impact Church Boards, and I would order a copy for everybody on your church board and actually work through that book together okay. because it'll it'll uh, talk you through some of the, the key things that make for a healthy board as far as who should be on the team and then the, the right roles for a board too. And I think if you start there, you can you can deal with the rest of the mess as far as committees and all the rest of the structure, but the board's got to start from a place of health. Is it true that the larger the church, the less bureaucracy, like if your church is going to oh, scale there's no and grow? Doubt. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I can uh, two things. I can look at the, their board and committee structure and I can look at the Sunday bulletin. And based on that, I can tell you what size church it is, because really? l- larger churches typically only have one board with, you know, usually it's five to nine people on that board and they probably don't have a bulletin. But if they do, it probably only has one or two announcements, kind of those next key steps that they're asking everybody mm-hmm. to do. While smaller churches have lots of boards and committees with lots of people engaged in meetings rather than ministry, mm-hmm. and if you open their Sunday bulletin, it's chock full of everything that the church is doing, Off ministry, programming, and that, yeah, everything pulling in multiple different directions. So, yeah, um, there's something about getting focused um, and fo- getting back to what what is what has God really called us to do? What does a healthy church really look like? And obviously, uh, at the Unstuck Group, that's what we're trying to help churches do is, uh, is find that focus all over again. So... If a leader is leading a stuck church or involved in a stuck church, what are a few of the keys to getting unstuck? Yeah, so uh, what I I would uh, caution a, ter- a leader in that position is just don't go start changing methods. Don't just go start changing structures. Uh, you really do have to begin back at the first step, which is why do we exist as a church, which is clarifying the mission, and where do we believe God's calling us as a church, which is the vision for for the future. You really have to begin there. And once you have that foundation, then you can begin to talk about what are we doing as a church, the methodology, the strategy, and then the structure and the systems to support that. And you can uh, hopefully identify what are, the, what are the first things that we need to be focused on to move back towards health so that we can see that mission and vision accomplished. But you have to start by trying to get consensus and unity around the mission and the vision. If you just start making changes, that you're gonna, that's one easy way. Way for a pastor to find themselves um, submitting their resumes to the Vanderbloom and Search Group. <laughs> True, and so the why. Really, what you're saying is get everybody around the why before you try to. That's do right. What and the how. That's right. Great. Anything else you want to share? Anything else you're seeing, Tony? That kind of intrigues you. Well, you know uh, the what. We, we sat down as a team back in January. I mentioned the, the strategic planning process our team goes through, and we started to look at who, who are we really trying to reach. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pastor who's in a situation where they do. They want to see health. They want to see growth in their churches. They want to reach more people for Jesus, but they're looking for hope. And so I just, we as a team recognize we need to do a better job of just acknowledging 
acknowledging church leaders, um, they, they want what's best for their church and they just want someone to give them hope that mm. that they're, they're, the, the church can have a bigger impact. The church can be healthy again. And I just want to encourage you and, and your listeners that, that that hope is there. Uh, God wants the best for your church. Um, but I, I will say this, what I've learned through the years is, and I, and I can't remember where I heard it first, hope is not a strategy. Yep. And so you, you, you ought to have hope. It's God's church. He's going to build his church. Um, but as stewards of the ministry that God's called us to, we owe it to God to step back periodically and plan the course uh, to plan before we build. And we need to have a strategy for how we're going to take those next steps, especially because resources are limited. And so that's the, I think, the final bit of encouragement I would give your listeners, uh, Carrie, is uh, please embrace the hope uh, that we have in Christ and the fact that he's going to build his church. But let's not, let's not assume that hope is our strategy. We have to have a strategy as well. I love it when you say that. And I'm like, it always convicts me because I'm a very optimistic, hopeful person. And I've heard you say that many times. Hope is not a strategy. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's got to be a lot more specific than that. And I was so grateful for this, Tony. Thanks so much. Hey, people are going to want to find you and uh, the Unstuck Group online. So tell us where we can find you. Yeah, so uh, you can find my team and all of the consulting and coaching we provide for churches at theunstuckgroup.com. And then if you want to follow daily leadership insights and things like that around ministry strategy and just how to help help you grow as a leader, you can, you can of course, find that at TonyMorganLive.com. Cool. Tony, thanks so much, man. Thank you, Karen. Sharp guy, isn't he? Man, I'll tell you, I, I think so. I've learned so much from Tony over the years. And you probably learned a lot in this interview. I hope so. Anyway, uh, the goal after all is to help you lead like never before. Hey, maybe you were running or like in your car on your commute or cooking dinner or something and couldn't take notes. We kind of did that for you. So if you go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 108, you'll find the show notes there, including all the links to everything we talked about in the show and a couple of key insights as well. So hopefully that's helpful to you. Hey, remember, as I said, next week, it's Chuck Swindoll. And then I'm super excited, not only about that, but two weeks from now, I sit down with Jeff Brody and Jeff Henderson. One of the, you know, number one questions I've been asked in the last year, or one of the top 10, I guess, is where did this like, you know, one of the number one, no, there's one number one, and this is not it. But one of the top five, for sure, questions I've been asked in the last year is, you know, why did you transition out of the lead pastor role at Connexus to the founding slash teaching pastor? Um, how's it going? Hey, uh, Jeff Brody, Jeff Henderson, and myself, we're going to talk all about that two weeks from now. So if you subscribe, you won't miss it. And in the meantime, I am looking forward to doing this again. How about like, seven days from now. Does that sound good? Thanks so much for being you. Thanks for being so awesome. And thanks for listening today. I really hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.